have a question to start with. The question is, do you believe in God? Well, that's a funny question to ask this crowd. I know. It's sort of like asking a room full of Catholics if they believe in the Pope, or a room full of Americans if they believe in the Constitution. Although, when you put it like that, after the last several weeks, maybe it's not so funny a question after all. The recent revelations of sexual abuse by Catholic priests and bishops have left many struggling to believe in the church and deeply angered at those entrusted to lead it. The past few weeks of Supreme Court nomination battles have left many from different perspectives wondering if they can believe justice will be done by those entrusted to lead our nation's government. What do we believe in? What can we believe in? Social scientists have been collecting data for over 50 years now on how trusting Americans are, of what they believe in, of their churches, their government, the communities, and their neighbors. The data shows that social trust peaked sometime in the mid-60s in this country, as it happens just about the same time that this church was built. And it's been trending downward ever since. Membership in the Episcopal Church and nearly any church you can think of follows the same trend. Just a few years ago, surveys showed that social trust and church attendance had reached their lowest levels in decades. I have to imagine that the past few years and the past few weeks have not helped to turn things around. So if you can't trust your church and you can't trust the government or the news, well then who do you trust? Many, thank God, are able to say that at least they trust their family or their friends. But more and more people today grow up in unstable homes, and far too many people bear hidden scars of assault and abuse. Is there anything, then, that we can all believe in? Can we believe in God, even when it's hard to believe in anything else? I think that we are being given a glimpse today into what it was like to live in the last days of the kingdom of Israel. Many centuries before, through the law given to Moses, God had shown Israel a way of life together that was in love with doing justice and speaking truth, of faithfulness in marriage, as Jesus says this morning in the Gospels, of mercy to the foreigner, the outcast, and the weak. This good way of life together had the worship of the one God at its heart, by a people who knew that it was right to give God thanks and praise for all the blessings of this life, and most of all for the saving grace and love of the God who had made them for himself. As we saw a few weeks ago, for a shining moment in the days of King David, Israel looked like the kingdom of God.
As we've seen these past several weeks going through the Old Testament, the story of Israel was all about reversing the curse of sin and death, about God reaching down into the human condition and choosing a people to bear witness to Him and to the good life together in God's kingdom. He made a covenant with Abraham to make his descendants as many as the stars in the sky. He gave to Moses the law and his very own glorious presence in the Ark of the Covenant. He gave through Joshua and David the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. In short, God had given Israel everything they needed to know, love, and enjoy Him forever. And yet, just like Adam and Eve, just like all of us, the children of Israel in time chose to throw it all away. Had it all then come to nothing? What had become of God's covenant, of His saving power? That is the deep question that the fall of the kingdom of Israel made the people face. We read today one of the most famous passages in the whole Bible from the prophet Ezekiel, the story of the dry bones. Ezekiel was actually a priest in the Jerusalem temple, one of the very last priests before the temple along with the city was destroyed. In the last days of the kingdom, he, like the prophets Jeremiah and Amos, thundered out that God's judgment was sure to come if the people would not turn from their worship of false gods and their disregard for God's law. Their warnings, however, went unheeded. Most people probably thought they were crazy. Some people said, God has chosen us, so why should we worry? God made a covenant to give us this land and this temple and establish the throne of David forever. The Lord of hosts is on our side. I like to sin. God likes to forgive. It's really a perfect arrangement. But then, you'll recall... God showed the prophet Amos the plumb line that was in his hand, the plumb line that measured the whole people of Israel and found them wanting. Just like all of us, they did not measure up. They were crooked. They were headed for a fall. The kingdom of Israel established by God Himself. The temple that God had built as His own dwelling place hundreds of years before. None of this would last. That which looked eternal and unshakable was swept away in an instant. God had said that David's throne would be established forever, but it was no match for the army of idolatrous Babylon. The temple where God lived, with the Ark of the Covenant that contained the stone tablets that God gave to Moses that went before the Israelites as they marched around Jericho. All of this was reduced to rubble. Gone. 
So I ask again, what had become of God's covenant with Israel? Had it all come to nothing? The Ark of the Covenant itself was gone. Was the old story even true? Now that you and I have walked through the great narrative of the Old Testament together, you can see how these questions must have been on the minds of Ezekiel and Jeremiah and countless others, tramping off to exile and leaving their destroyed homeland behind. Imagine Ezekiel. Imagine him watching the temple burnt and its holy things desecrated and destroyed. Imagine him watch his city burn and its streets filled with violence and nightmares. Imagine him marched off to cruel, wicked Babylon, where strange idols that demanded horrible things were everywhere worshipped, where might was right, lies were true, and injustice sat upon the throne and grew strong. By the rivers of Babylon we sat down and wept when we remembered you, O Zion. Imagine the troubled questions that were on Ezekiel's heart. Did God forget the covenant? Did he forget us? What can we believe in now? Can we even believe in God? These are the questions that lie behind the great, powerful vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. There, spread out on the valley's floor, are the people of Israel, dead for so long that they're nothing but dry bones. They are very many. They are very dry. And the Lord points out over the valley of bones and asks Ezekiel a question. Mortal, can these bones live? can't emphasize enough. That is the central question of the entire Bible. Can these bones live? If we don't see that, I don't think we understand the Bible at all. The religion of the Bible doesn't ask, can good people do good things if they work together? The Bible isn't a charter for the club of the already saved, the already good, the people who already have it all together and are building Jerusalem in their green and pleasant cul-de-sac. No. No, the Bible trains our eyes out over the valley and says, Behold this valley of dry bones. The God of the Bible finds us when we know our need, when we confess our sin, when we are grieving and hurting and broken and puts a question in our mouths that we hardly dare ask, can these bones live? The answer comes back. 
O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. It comes to Isaiah. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Every valley, even the valley of dry bones, shall be lifted up. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it. One of the many ways I think that we are all indebted to our ancestors in the black church is that they were built by a people who believed in God even when they had precious little else to believe in. The saints who wrote the spirituals in our hymnal didn't always believe in the government. No, most of the leaders in the white church in that day were on the side of Pharaoh, not Moses. And yet, despite all of that, the saints who wrote those songs believed in the living God. Not the God of the empires of Babylon or Egypt, but the God who goes down into the valley with the downtrodden and the forgotten and the weak and the dead and breathes life into those dry bones, stands them up and puts a song of praise on their hearts. We must never forget this. I said a few minutes ago that as social trust has declined in this country, church attendance has declined too. And I said how understandable it is to wonder if we can believe in God when it's hard to know what else we can believe in. That, I think, was Ezekiel's question too. But if the God we worship is the God of Israel, it should be just the opposite. If we're governed by Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar, that should not surprise us. If the high priests are corrupt, that should only be what we expect. If our family looks as bad as Cain and Abel, that should be nothing new. It's all what God expected when he made his covenant with Abraham long ago at the dawn of history. God walked through the bloody passageway himself, down the middle of the accursed and the dead, as if to look out on all history to come and say to it, This is on me. This sin is on my shoulders. I will bear it all for you. God made a covenant with Israel so that they would be a light to the nations. And when their light eventually grew dim like all of ours, then God in the fullness of time sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to be Israel for us all, the light of the world, the hope of the nations.
God didn't forget his covenant or his people, Israel. He kept his covenant himself and offered us all in Christ the good life that God made us for from the beginning, the kingdom of God that Abraham and Sarah bore, that Moses proclaimed, that David saw for a moment, and that Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Amos saw with the eyes of hope. Just like all of them, we now train our eyes forward in Advent hope, looking ahead for what is to come. Can these bones live? Can we believe in God? Yes. There is a new hope and a new beginning for us all. We may do small good things in the hope that God will take them up into the saving purposes of His kingdom. After the fall of the kingdom of Israel, the prophet Isaiah looked out and saw, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall rest on his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Amen.